The second verse of Genesis chapter 6 says that the sons of God married the daughters of men. So who were these men and women? Well, stay with us as we deal with this question and more. listening to the question and answer program with our Bible teacher, Dr. J. Vernon McGee. We hope that you'll be able to pull up a chair, open your Bible, as we deal with the questions of our many listeners. This program is a ministry of the Through the Bible Radio Network. Today, we're going to begin our program with a question from a listener in Roy, Montana, who writes, I don't believe you commented on this when you were going through Nehemiah, but it is a verse I noticed at that time. It was Nehemiah 13, verse 1. As I read it, it occurred to me that Ruth was a Moabite, and I'm puzzled about it. Could you please shed some light on this verse? Well, may I say to you, and I think probably I ought to turn here to Nehemiah 13.1 and read that. And it reads like this. On that day they read in the book of Moses in the audience of the people, and therein was found written that the Ammonite, the Moabite, should not come into the congregation of God forever. May I say to you that when we studied Deuteronomy 23.3, we read this verse, A Moabite or an Ammonite shall not enter into the congregation of the Lord. Now, Gentiles were permitted to come to a court that was for the Gentiles. But a Moabite and Ammonite couldn't come there. He was forbidden to come there. And I want to say this to you, and this is just a little gentle slap on the hand. I mentioned that Deuteronomy 23.3, and I wonder if you weren't listening. And then when I got to the book of Ruth, I emphasized that a great deal, that Ruth as a Moabite was shut out. Absolutely. She is to begin with a widow. She is a stranger. And she's not only that, but she is a Moabite. And the law was very specific about a Moabite. How is she going to get in? Well, somebody's going to have to love her and redeem her and pay a price. And you know, there was a man that loved her and paid the price, and that was Boaz. And he was her kinsman redeemer. And God provided always for a kinsman redeemer. You see, God's law is very specific, very high. God doesn't lower the law. But you know, God is not only a righteous, holy, just God, but he loves, and his love has caused him to provide redemption for us, and that redemption for us today is in Christ. For Ruth, it was in Boaz, and so if you had to wait till you got to the book of Nehemiah to make this discovery, I want to say to you that I cannot pass you in the examination if you had been in my classes when I taught in the Bible Institute because 
That is something that is very important for our students to pick up, was this great truth concerning the kinsman redeemer. We come now to a question from a listener in Dallas, Texas. She says, In a recent broadcast, I understood you to say that the present nation of Israel is not the remnant. Do you think the present nation is the regathering of God's people and as such should be supported by us at the risk of our Arab relations? Well, I do not have all the facts about our Arab relations and that sort of thing. I wouldn't care to get into that. But I do not think that the nation Israel today is the remnant. The remnant are those that have accepted Christ, and very few have accepted Christ in the new nation of Israel. Now, I do not think that the regathering is a fulfillment of prophecy. That's what's happened there today. They could well be scattered again. We trust it'll not be, and certainly we, we are concerned about the nation Israel. But we do need to understand what prophecy has to say. And the remnant refers to the believers. And those that are there are not believers. More atheists there, and it's harder to do missionary work there than most any other place. But every real Christian is concerned about those people in that land because we know that the wheels of prophecy will start turning the minute the church is removed from the earth. Now here's an interesting question raised by one of our listeners who wrote, You mentioned that pastor-teacher were actually two separate gifts and that one person could not have both gifts. Either he was a pastor or he was a teacher. I'm confused. Could you please then explain what is a pastor? How could one pastor a church without having the gift of teaching to feed his flock? What role did you have all those years you were pastor since you definitely have the gift of teaching? Does this mean there should be one man in the pulpit as the teacher and another man doing the ministry as the pastor? Can you help me understand this issue? Well, it's quite popular now for a great many to be called a pastor-teacher. I don't know why that sounds so great today, but for some reason a great many like to call themselves a pastor-teacher. Now, the Lord gives to the church men with certain gifts. And we're told in Ephesians, the fourth chapter and the 11th verse, and I won't go in the whole passage, but just this verse, and he gave some, that is to some local churches, he gave some apostles. Now, in the early church, we find that Paul was pastor. The church in Philippi certainly considered him their pastor. The church in Ephesus did. He gave some, not to be apostles, but he gave to some churches apostles. And he gave to some prophets. And he gave to some evangelists. And that actually is missionary. And he gave to some churches pastors. And he gave to some churches teachers. Now, all these are different gifts. Now, that doesn't mean that a man who is an evangelist cannot teach the Word of God, but that's not his gift. And it doesn't mean that a person who's a pastor cannot teach also, but it means that actually no one apparently has these gifts. So the Lord, if he's permitted to have his way, the Spirit of God will put into the church 
Christ who's head of the church, he'll put into a church what a church needs. Now, some churches need a pastor. Now, the word pastor, shepherd. A shepherd is one that watches over the sheep. He spends time counseling them. He goes, visits them. He goes with them through their time of sorrow, their time of crisis, and all of us have those things. And there are certain men that have a gift as a pastor. Now, let me speak very frankly. Of course, that's where I speak all the time, but even more so now. I have known men who've been pastors of churches who are lousy preachers and teachers, and yet they were excellent pastors. And I have seen those men build great churches by exercising the gift of a pastor, but not preaching and teaching. Now, the church did suffer, and that's my reason for believing that if a man who is a pastor of a church, the senior pastor, as he's called, if the senior pastor has a gift of teaching, he ought to get somebody in as an assistant who is a pastor, who has the gift of a shepherd, and vice versa. If he finds out that he is a good pastor, then let him get somebody who's a good teacher, and you get a well-rounded church. And that's the reason that we have these lopsided churches today. Some of them have been pastored to death. They're a bunch of babies, and the pastor is just a wet nurse running around burping babies. And they need teaching. And then there are other men that have gift as a teacher. Now, you asked me specifically the question, weren't you a pastor all those years? I had to be. Very frankly, I get credit right here in Pasadena. I was a pastor here for eight years, and I really visited the congregation. But I have to be very frank and confess to you, that's a part of my ministry I did not enjoy. Some men just revel in it. They love it. I don't. I want to study the Word of God and preach and teach the Word of God. That's what I wanted to do. And I think if any man that's in the ministry today tries to claim he's got two gifts, and some of them think they're song leaders too, and I've always felt that's one thing he ought not to be doing, but I think that a man has just one gift. I remember Dr. Chaffer used to say, he says, a man may have two gifts, but I never met him yet. And I can say that in my ministry. I never met a man I thought had two gifts. One gift is what God gives to each one of us. I agree with you. I think if I have any gift of all, it's been that of teaching. I think that's the reason the Lord has let me have a radio ministry is because I don't have to be a pastor. And I can be a teacher. And I can help a great many pastors. We have on our mailing list I suppose now several thousand pastors, and I think we help them. We want to because they've got a gift that I don't have, but they've got it, and God's using them. And I think we need to recognize that today. Dr. Chaffer said to me one time, if I may quote him again, when I became pastor of the church at the Open Door, he says, you know, I've always felt that this church of the Open Door in downtown Los Angeles and the Moody Church in Chicago and Tremont Temple in Boston ought to have an arrangement where there would be three men. One man have a gift as a pastor, another the gift of a teacher, and another the gift of an evangelist. And that those three men rotate around. 
and spend, each one of them, four months in the church each year. That the church would get teaching, it'd get pastoring, and it'd get evangelism. And you know that was a good thing. But I never suggested that. And the reason I never suggested it was I wouldn't want to be in Chicago in wintertime, and I know I wouldn't want to be in Boston in wintertime. So I'd let that go by the board. But very frankly, I think that I'd like to see that tried in some churches today. Let them have a rotating ministry because many of us have a gift and we don't have it all. If you have a pastor that's a good Bible teacher, then don't criticize him for not visiting you every time you mash your thumb because his gift is teaching and that's what God wants him to do. Now, I've spent some time at this question because I think this question's very, very important. Big Rapids, Michigan is the place from which this next question comes. The listener writes, Who were the sons of God in Genesis 6, verse 2? Let me read the verse, Genesis 6, 2, and make just a few comments. That the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair, and they took them wives of all which they chose. Now the question is, who are the sons of God and who are the daughters of men? There are those who teach that the sons of God are angels, are supernatural creatures. And if you believe that, you'll find yourself in good company. The man who taught me more about the Bible than anyone else believed that. I've never been able to accept it from the very beginning. I believe that the book of Genesis gives the genealogies, the family background, and that the sons of God are the godly line. Because you remember after Cain had killed Abel, you didn't have a godly line at all. And then we find that Adam and Eve had another son, and we're told that he begat those other sons and daughters, but the one that's mentioned is Seth. And the reason Seth is mentioned is because The line that leads to the Lord Jesus goes back to Seth. And that's the reason that it is given in the Scripture. Now, that line is considered the godly line. It goes through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and they don't seem so godly at times, but that's the line that's leading to Jesus Christ and even through David. Now, the sons of God are those that are in that line. Now, they have gone over and married the daughters of men. That's the line of Cain and probably other sons and daughters of Adam and Eve that have actually gone away from God, turned away from God. And the daughters of men, they were very attractive. They were very beautiful. I suppose the most godless women that have ever been on this earth have been very beautiful women. At least that's the reputation that they have in history, that they were very beautiful. And the sons of God, these men in the godly line, saw the daughters of men that they were beautiful and married them. I think it's just a simple statement of marriage of a believer with an unbeliever. And I think this is one of the places where God really condemns it and shows what it led to. It led to the judgment of the entire race. And that's what's happening today. Thank the Lord for the tremendous interest in the Word of God. But 
Today, I notice that when a believer marries an unbeliever, they don't generally get converted. The unbeliever does not get converted, but sometimes the believer becomes a backslidden individual. That's what was happening in the time that produced the day of Noah, which caused God to bring the judgment of the flood. So that is the way I interpret that as scripture. But as I said, if you take the viewpoint that there were angels, you'll be in good company. But of course, if you want to be right, you'd want to go along with me. Now let's look at a question that comes to us from a listener in Detroit, Michigan. It reads, did the apostles baptize differently from what Jesus taught? Jesus said that we are to baptize in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. In the book of Acts, the apostles baptized in the name of Jesus. Is this a contradiction? Well, let me say this, that I think this is a place where there's been a great deal of splitting of hairs on the mode of baptism. And when I say that, I'm not talking about sprinkling our immersion, but I'm talking now about the formula that is used. I believe that the Lord Jesus gave the formula. And I believe that all that Dr. Luke is doing in the book of Acts is making it very clear that these new converts, many of them, I'm confident, had been baptized. You see, John baptized, and John apparently baptized in the name of the Father. And so the important thing that's mentioned now is they're baptized in Jesus' name. And that is the point that Dr. Luke is emphasizing. And I don't think he's attempting to set down a formula there. When you read Dr. Luke in Acts and he says they were baptized in Jesus' name, I don't think that he would want to say to you, well, now, I'm not saying this is the way that you would do it. I'm just letting you know that these people back there were baptized in Jesus' name. They probably have been baptized in the name of the Father. Now, the formula is not given in Acts. And I think it's to labor a minute question. If we could only get away from this type of thing. Now, if you feel today that you just should be baptized in Jesus' name, I think that the Lord Jesus will forgive you. You don't follow the formula. He'd say this poor saint down there does want to obey me, but just doesn't seem to understand. And I don't think that it'd mean you're not accepted. Therefore, I wouldn't want to debate with you about it. I think out yonder today, there's a world that's gone crazy, a world that needs the Word of God. I wish we could get more direction in that area than all of this energy. We got an energy shortage in getting the Word of God out. I've had that a long time, but no lack of energy for arguing about minute points, and this is a minuscule. Now, the same listener has a second question. He asks, could you explain the doctrine of the Trinity in detail? And my answer to that is no, I cannot explain it in detail. There are several things I'd like to say in connection with my negative answer to it, though. Number one is that I don't have the time. This is a question-answer program and not a program to discuss the great doctrines of the Christian faith. I ran a series not long ago on the Sunday program. And on that Sunday program, I ran a series on the person of God. Who is God? 
and we talked about the different attributes of God, and then about the fact that God was a trinity, and then about each person. Now, it took us, I think, about seven or eight messages that went 45 minutes. Now, friends, I can't answer in five or ten minutes here to explain the trinity. I do not have the time. And then the second reason is I could never explain it in detail because I do not know it in detail. I only know that God has manifested himself in that way to us today. And that the important thing for you and me to know is what the Word of God has to say and that he is revealed. We have unity in the Trinity. And he's asked certain other questions here that relate to this, and I'll take them up. Are there three persons in one? Yes, I think you can say it like that. Are there three persons as one? No, they are of the same substance. The Lord Jesus Christ was God. And then he's asked the question, just one person, period. No, there are three persons. Are the persons autonomous from one another? No. Is the Father supreme in authority? No. They're equal. Are the persons equal in power? They're equal in every way. And each one in his relationship to the human family performs a separate and different ministry. The Father gave the Son. The Son came and died upon the cross, became a man First, of course, and then the Father and the Son have sent the Holy Spirit into the world, and he's to bring conviction. He will convict the world. And I believe that that is the great work of the Holy Spirit. He can only do it through the Word of God today, and that's the reason we teach the Word of God. We don't expect to do anything, but we do expect the Holy Spirit to do something. Now, let me say this. I have a little book, the title of the little book, is how can God exist in three persons? I have attempted to bring that down right where the rubber meets the road to the understanding of all of us of the Trinity and the best that we can. Now, that little book is available, and it's yours, though, if you'll just write in and ask for it, because I'd like you to have the answer there, which I cannot enter into here. We're dealing with the infinite God, and you just can't do that. We're living in a day when we're seeing, well, you can have today, you can have instant coffee and two-minute eggs for breakfast and get on your way in a hurry. And a great many people want their religion like that. I've always been known as a long-winded preacher, and I used to have complaints from Several officers in the church, they wanted me to cut down on the message. What they wanted was just a little sermonette, something, you know, that would tickle the fancy of the congregation and let them go laughing along their way. In other words, they wanted a little entertainment. And you just can't deal with the Word of God like that. Now, don't say that you have to do this with a long face, because I do use a great deal of humor because... I think God has a sense of humor, and he made me that way, and I just enjoy it. And I think today that you and I need to spend 
more time, maybe you don't, but I do, of knowing God. This is life eternal. Not just being born again, but when you're born again, you're a baby. You've got to grow up. And this is life eternal. To know thee, the only true God, in Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. As Dr. McGee mentioned, we offer a booklet of his message on the Trinity called How Can God Exist in Three Persons? We do have a printed version which you can order when you contact our offices, or you can get the booklet version as a free download when you visit us online at ttb.org. We also have several other resources which deal with the nature and character of God, such as Dr. McGee's book called Who is God? I'll get you the contact information in just a moment. Did you hear an answer today maybe that was meaningful to your walk with the Lord? Well, if so, I want to remind you that you can purchase these programs on CD, or you can listen to it again by going to our audio archives page on our website, or by subscribing to our podcast, or by using one of our mobile apps for your Android, Apple, or Windows smartphones. Our hope is that you love hearing these rebroadcasts of Dr. McGee's questions and answers, but our flagship and most valuable program is our daily Through the Bible broadcast. Every Monday through Friday, you can listen to us as we journey through the whole Word of God in five years. If you're interested in being part of these studies, we suggest that you contact us, and we'll get the notes and outlines out to you to help you follow along. We do send them out as we approach each new study to all those who have asked to be added to our mailing list for the monthly newsletter and the broadcast schedule. To contact our offices to purchase any of our resources, ask for the notes, or request to be on our mailing list, call 1-800-65-BIBLE Monday through Thursday from 6 a.m. to 3 p.m. Pacific Time. Or write to Questions and Answers in the U.S., Box 7100, Pasadena, California, 91109. Or in Canada, Box 25325, London, Ontario, N6C, 6B1. Or find us online at ttb.org. Now we pray that God will answer all your questions and solve all your problems. Jesus made it all, all to him I owe. This program has been brought to you by the faithful friends and supporters of the worldwide ministry of Through the Bible Radio Network.